Most studio owners decide to open their fitness and wellness businesses because they want to help people and add more meaning into their lives. Their heart is in the right place, they're great people, but scaling a profitable business that feels incredible to own and run is trickier than ever before. So where they get stuck is no one's ever shown them how to run a wildly successful business without the overwhelm and the chaos. Plus, they're doing it all alone. Until now. Welcome to the Geronimo Unfiltered Podcast for ambitious boutique studio owners who are allergic to average and know they're capable of more. They're just missing the how. I'm Dozer, your host, CEO and founder of the Geronimo Academy, and together with my crew and my community of owners and managers who are the doers and the implementers, we are on a mission to pioneer a better way to own and operate a health and fitness business while building a life you love, not hate. So if you're ready to push the boundaries, level up your money, meaning and impact, and stop doing it alone, then you're in the right place. This is going to be raw and unfiltered, zero bullshit. So take a deep breath, strap yourself in, and let's get fucking started. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Geronimo Unfiltered Podcast. I am Dozer, your host, and today actually is a very special episode. I've got a co-host here. Hi, Dozer. How are you? Good. Who we got? It's Peter Day here. It's the first time actually co-hosting. I was a guest earlier on the Geronimo Unfiltered podcast and now helping Dozer out. Yeah, so we're actually in Bali at the Active Escapes AE Festival. Do you want to tell us about that real quick? Yeah, so the Active Escapes Festival, it's the largest one-week fitness retreat in the world. So there's 130 guests here in Uluwatu in Bali. Fitness, outdoors, a ton of events, activities, all the rest of it. And Dozer's come along for the ride. Excellent. All right, so... We have a very special guest here with us today. So let me just kind of read through a bio we have of you, okay? Um, Actually, do you want to do this? I'd love to. So introducing to the podcast a very special guest, we've got James Newry here. And I'm really, really excited to have him and to share a bit of his story. But just a bit of background on James Newry. So he is a four-time CrossFit Games athlete. Um, has won the Australian CrossFit Open basically a number of times as Australia's fittest man for years on end. He's 100% plant-based. He's also a founder of Fiber, a proud Aussie-made supplement brand, as well as an owner of Laboy. So as an entrepreneur, his best accolade, he was the fifth fittest man on the planet in the 2019 CrossFit Games. And at one point, he was actually winning the games ahead of all the other competitors. So an absolute athlete, a weapon, a great guy and an entrepreneur. And I'm really excited to unpack his story here. Awesome. So, all that aside, I'll give you the brief on this podcast, okay? It's quite unfiltered because, you know, who who we do this for is for our community of gym owners and entrepreneurs who are allergic to average, they're striving for more, and sometimes they're just kind of missing the house. So, part of this podcast is like we're trying to find and unearth the high performers and ask certain questions and peel back some of the layers and get really unfiltered because then it might leave some clues for the rest of us. This fires me up so much. You have no idea. Okay, great. So, Pete just read out all those accolades in your life, but let's cut the crap. Mm. Okay. Were you always this jacked or you a couch potato (laughs) at some point? Just Uh, let the rest of us kind of believe that there's a future. (laughs) Well, I was, okay. I wasn't a couch potato, but I didn't have any muscle whatsoever. I was super skinny. I was a scrawny little kid, pretty much took after my dad who was tall and skinny. And I'm kind of met in the middle. My mum's five foot nothing. My dad's six foot three and I'm five ten. So I kind of met in the middle. But if I did no training whatsoever, I would be scrawny. I'd be skinny, skinny kid. Yeah. Talk to me about like, who is James? What is the James origin story and what has shaped you along the way or who has shaped you along the way to, you know, Mm. 
That's a to good question. You are now. Really good question. I think I would like to see myself rather, and I've said this once before, that I would rather be remembered not for the CrossFit accolades, not for doing well in, in this particular sport or trying all these other cool sports or whatever they may be, but I would rather be remembered as a good bloke, kind person, empathetic, someone that people can rely on, someone that people see as, you know, just a good soul, essentially. I would rather be known for that than, oh yeah, he was really good at sport. Like, that's cool. I like it. But in the beginning, when I was fresh to this, I wanted to be defined by the best athlete that possibly was. And then over the years, my mindset's changed. I probably matured to a point where I understand that achieving things for me, it's part of my nature mm. and that come from a young age. Mm. But also I didn't want it to be the defining factor because once it goes and once you're not competing at that level anymore, you don't want to be left with your hands in your lap thinking, well, what next? Mm. So that was never a thing. I want to excel in everything I do. I want to enjoy my time. I want to have fun. And if I'm not getting fired up, excited, or I'm not happy, I just think, what's the fucking point of doing anything? That's so no matter whether it's relationships or whether it's business or whether it's sport or, you know, testing myself to a particular degree in something new, mm. I love the learning experience behind it all. And it's all about the experience. I kind of figure, and this, I can't remember who told me it, but if you're not excited, then what are you doing? Mm. Mm. I guess in terms of maybe a part of your first question, how it all got shaped, I think it came a lot from my parents. Really? Yeah. I think my parents had a lot to do with it. And every time something pops up or I navigate a situation, I think, where did I get the idea to go down that path and what drove me to do it? And it always comes back from a particular sentence or a line or a situation that either my mom or my dad, probably my dad in particular, fed me once upon a time. What was one of them? One time we were sitting in the car and I was playing at a, a rugby league championships and he basically said to me he goes no matter what sport you want to put your hand to you're probably going to do pretty well at it so pick anything you want to do I'll never force you to do it but pick your hand in anything and you'll be good and he gave me a lot of confidence to just choose anything and be okay with what I've got in me to excel so that established some confidence another thing that he taught me from a young age too was a lot of delayed gratification. He fed that into me from a young age and there was actually a turning point where I was 16 at the time. I was year 10 or year 11 at school and I had the opportunity to leave Adelaide, go play rugby league in a different state. And I wanted to go. I was like, yes, yes, sign me up. Hang on. Me. Were you good at that too, were you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was all right. Okay, let's go back. I was all right. Um, yeah, played state level, made a couple of Australian teams back in the day when I was a young kid. Yeah, schoolboy stuff. But then <laughs> after my first Australian schoolboy selection, I got an opportunity to go to a school yeah. and it was in New South Wales. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. And then dad said, I think it's going to be more beneficial. You're only young. And I thought I was an adult back then. But delayed gratification, keep working, keep grinding, put yourself in a position where you can maximize it down the line and you don't need this acute satisfaction now. And that was a piece of advice that I, I learned. And that also came stemming back from way back when, when I first started athletics, when I was seven years old, I always wanted to get a gold medal in the sprinting and I never could. I never could get on the podium. I would get a gold medal in shot put, silver medal in high jump. I'd do pretty good in discus, field events I was good at. And I loved running no matter the distance. I loved it, but I was always fourth or fifth right. and just always missed out on the podium at States. And I was just like fuming about it. And then a, a 400 meters popped up and I was like, I'm just going to send this from the start. I think I was like 10 or 11 years old at the time. Yeah. Absolutely sent it from the beginning. 
and it came down to the like the closest margin and I was pipped on the line for a third spot. I got fourth again, but my dad was at the line and he goes, mate, I'm actually going to go put an appeal in because I think you won. I think you got third there. Really? And anyway, we're on the drive home and I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a medal in this dad. I don't know what's going on. And he goes, maybe you should do some training. At that point, I had no idea what training was. Really? And so I was just like, cool. I'll... 16. Were you 16? No, I was 11. You were 11? Yeah. And I said, what's training? Like, what is that? Like, I had no idea. And he goes well, it might help you get on the podium. And I was just like, cool. He goes, basically what you do on the Sundays at Little Athletics, but you just do during the week and you do it more than the other kids. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Can you make me train? And he goes, if you want to train, you'll do it yourself. And I said, can't you come home and just force me to do it? I'll be at home after school. You'll be at home after work. Just take me out and make me throw shot put, make me throw discus. And he goes, no, if you want to do it, you'll do it yourself. I will help you mark your 100. I'll help you mark your 200 wow. and your 400 in the street. I will get you a shot put and a discus you can take to the park and I'll help you in that respect. But if you want to train, it's up to you. And that instilled me that I had to be self-motivated wow. to get anything done. And so I stuck to this semi-hardcore. I'd go out after school and throw a handful of shot put, do a couple of jumps. Dad set up a high jump thing in the backyard where he got a fishing rod and hung a tag to it. Oh, wow. And then every time you hit it 10 times in a row, you just wind it a little bit and take it up a little bit higher and then you got to try and hit that. So he was showing me how to do all that stuff. And then from there, I went back and that's when I got my gold medal at shot put. That's when I got my silver yes. medal in high jump. And I thought, okay, this training stuff works. And that's what got me hooked. Interesting. Have you told your dad that? Oh yeah, he's, he's heard it before. He knows, he knows he's like the, the OG coach. <laughs> that's unreal. Yeah, and he's, he's, yeah, he's great. One thing as well that I've, I love, I've been watching you when you're competing in the CrossFit Games over the number of years and getting to know you more recently as well. One thing that really strikes me about you is you're so damn humbled. You're so real and your attitude to competing is very rare for many athletes. And even just the way you go about the competitions today and even the way you did it back then, I'm very fond of the way that you do that and your appreciation for the journey. And I'm seeing it with your business, which I'll unpack it a little bit. You really don't skip out on doing the basics and doing the fundamentals. And you're laying a lot of the groundwork now with your own businesses. Were you more motivated when you were in your athletic, I mean, you're still in your athletic career, but were you more motivated by the thought of winning or did you just hate losing? Yeah, that's a fantastic fantastic question. Probably initially when I was young and quite immature, I wanted to win at all costs. I loved the feeling of getting to the final 100 meter stretch, legs burning, like lungs are on fire, neck and neck with three other blokes. Like that fired me up. I got a sense of thrill out of that. Either way, it's a fear of losing or it's like a will to win. I don't think it's either one of those things for me. I think it was, I wanted to experience everything and everything was a learning experience for me. And I got fired up about testing myself across a broad spectrum of sport always. And that was always what fired me up. It was never to be the specialist, but always having a crack at whatever came my way, whether it was surfing, touch football, ball, badminton, swimming, surf lifesaving, rugby league, athletics. Like I, when I was doing athletics, I never wanted to just be the sprinter. I wanted to win the 100, win the 200, win the 400, the 1500, the 800. And then I wanted to go and win the discus, the javelin and everything. And I was just like, well, why not? Everything had a specific feeling of nailing it. And I just wanted to be good at everything. That was the key factor. And I used to get frustrated when I lost, but not to the point where it consumed me and never went home crying about it. I just thought, oh, well, if someone beats me on the day, hats off to them. And, and my dad taught me that as well. Actually, there's one really good instance where this happened and I was shocked because I didn't know what I'd done. <laughs> I was racing at my local little athletics. And How I old used, were you? 
I was at this particular time, I would have been 12 years old. And I used to clean up in my age group every week. If I lost anything, I would be frustrated. I'd be a bit dirty about it, but I changed my attitude very, very quickly after my dad. He actually helped me a lot with this. And this is probably where it comes from. There was a kid at school who didn't go to athletics or anything. And I saw him racing and he was a year younger than me and he was winning all the races at school. And I said, oh, you should come along to no longer athletics. Um, you'll have a blast. You're fast. You'll do well. We got there. The first day he came out, he challenged me to a race and I thought, yeah, I'm going to towel him up. And he's, he's like 11. I'm 12. I'm just, I'm going to towel him. We took off. He was annihilating me in this race. And I was so frustrated. We got halfway down the hundred meter stretch. And this was after the, the little athletics day had been finished. And he, after he goes, oh, do you want to race? I was like, yeah, sure. And I stopped. I stopped at the 50 meter mark and I just pulled, pulled the pin and dad's looking at me. And I'm looking at him and I saw there was something wrong and I walk over and he goes, what are you doing? And I was just like, what do you mean? And he goes, why'd you stop? And I was just like, oh, Reese was winning. He goes, I'm so disappointed in you. Really? And I'm just like, why? I didn't know why. And he's just like, if someone's challenged you to a race, you go ahead and you take the loss. You take the loss straight on the chin. He goes, you pulling out of that race was disrespectful to him. Um, And he goes, I'm so disappointed in you. And I was like, and he turned around and walked away. And I was like, whoa. I sat there. I was like, well, I didn't know what I had done. I didn't know that it was disrespectful. I had no idea. And I thought, you know what? He's right. And then from that day on, I'd never stopped in a race ever since. Like even if I had to like drag my feet. And that was a big thing for me. Like I remember him being so disappointed that I'd stopped halfway through this hundred meter. And I, and I thought the race is not important. It's not a, it's not a timed race. It was just to see who was winning. And he goes, but if you were winning, you would have finished the race and you would have expected him to as well. And I was like, yeah, you're actually right. And so that was a big thing for me. Then that kind of shifted the way that I thought about respect, being humble, taking a loss on the chin and not letting it adjust you to the point that you need to be adjusted to either train harder but also be a be a good sportsman at the same time and you know taking a loss is a great learning experience you'll learn a lot more from losing than you will from winning yeah definitely and i've seen it like after some of these workouts they're they're fucking tough to be honest with you so you've got a smile on your face you're always there you're happy you're happy for everyone else at the same time but you're very much trying to get everyone involved with it you've mentioned your dad quite a lot has there been anyone else in your career who's really shaped james newby to the person he is today Yeah, I've had a lot of input from a lot of different specialist coaches in their field, whether it was endurance coaches or whether it was CrossFit all-rounder coaches. But one of the coaches that I think really shifted my perspective on the way that I should approach the CrossFit Games, because I'd been disappointed in all of my placings in 2016, my rookie debut. I was disappointed in where I placed. I was disappointed in 2017. I I pretty much quit the end of 2017. What did you place just for everyone else? So in 2016, it was 24 out of 40. It's 24th in the world, by the way. Yeah. Disappointed. And, so. and yeah, disappointed. And I guess when, you, when you're when you there, you always want more. Unless you're sitting atop that podium, you're just like, what could I have done better? And I walked away from that saying everything. There was nothing. There was nothing about that competition in 16 or 17 that I thoroughly enjoyed. None of it. So I had to change my perspective a lot. So what changed then? So talk us through 2017, 2018 now. So 2018, I changed coaches. I went from being the most unfit because I basically stopped after 2017. I led into 2018 a week before the open started, which was first qualification. I had done no training, zero. I stopped. I like, I walked into the gym every day for about five to six months, like looked around, turned around and walked out, got in the car and went home. Because you were done. I was so burned out. I think I'd just been pulling myself in so many different directions. I was just 
burned with work, burned with training, burned with putting myself through the hurt locker every day to get to a competition and not get the result that I thought I deserved from the training that I had allowed myself to do. I let the games training consume me wholly and solely and not just me, but also the people around me that felt the pressure of what I had to do. Like, you know, you're training four to six hours a day. And then when you're not training, you're thinking about the next session. Mm. You're thinking about how you can execute better. You're thinking about what this is going to look like at the games. You're going through in your mind. And when you're in that type of state of mind, which you can only sustain for a couple of months a year, in any conversation you're having, you're probably not present. I was never present. Even when I'm not training, I still was not present. So for the people around me, that was tough on them. So when you go to the competition and this, a lot of people are like, you got to do it for yourself, do it for yourself. It's like a lot of the time I was out there slinging it for the people that supported me. And if you go out there and you suck on the day and you suck on the, on the week and you don't do well, you're upset with yourself because you feel like you've let them down. And essentially all they want you to be is happy. And they're sad for you that you haven't placed where you feel like you should have placed. And then it's like this ripple effect. So I had to change my mindset on that again. They just wanted me to be happy. So if I walked off with a smile on my face, 24th place out of 40, it's like, I had the best time ever. They would have been stoked. But I walked away thinking, oh, I've let you guys down. So that shifted until 2019, actually, where I was coached by a lady named Michelle Laton. And she gave me the confidence to go out there and to put the effort and the work. I could right. feel it deep within me that I was tapered so much better than ever before, that I trained enough to get the result and then bounce back from the training well, rather than dig myself into this rut of progressive overload and then still not get out of it for the comp. But she also gave me the confidence to go out out there and know that I could mix it with the best. And that's all it took. I was as fit in 2018, guaranteed. And I placed 18th in 2018. 18 was my best. And I was like, mm, it's okay. But if I never crossfitted another day in my life, I would still wonder why I did anything. But 2019, I walked into it after doing a training camp with Pat Velma, Laura Horvath and Sam Cornier and the whole training camp. And this was really good for me because I'd never trained with another male athlete leading into the CrossFit Games, especially one that podiums every year like Pat Velma. Mm. And so during that two-month training camp in Montreal, we were pretty much going one-for-one one on workouts. And I thought, oh, yeah, like it's a running workout. I'll probably do well. It's a, a heavy gymnastics piece. He'll probably do well. But if there's running involved, this is my time to send. So it got to the end of the training camp and Michelle sat down with me. We're at a bar, actually. And she said to me, James, how are you feeling about the games? James is like a week away. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm feeling good. She goes, you should feel good. I'm just like, why? And she goes, You've gone 50-50 with Pat Bellano, podiums every year. You can mix top five for sure. And I was wow. like, what? I was like, you think so? For me, I was like, if I get top 15, I'll be stoked. Top 10, like wrapped with top 10. If I got top five, I could never crossfit another day in my life. If I, if I didn't ever again, I'd be fine. Be cool. Done. Sweet. Pressure off. So right there. Was that a change in your belief in that moment? 100%. Like I remember we stopped the conversation. I just sat there looking at the top of the bar thinking, oh yeah, I, I think I could podium. <laughs> Really? And is, that, is that the first time, like genuinely the first time you thought you could actually podium? Yes, there it was. Go. I thought maybe in 2016, I could rookie it and be one of those ones, be, be one of the Matt Frasers who just rocks up and gets podium. I thought I could do that in 2016, but I was young and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to come in and rip in. And then when it didn't work out that way, I was like, okay, I got work to do. And then I just got back on the bandwagon, got to work. But at that moment, I thought, yep, yeah, she's right. Like, CrossFit Games is a 50-50 running workout. Half the workouts have some type of running in it. And in all years previous, we could see if there's 12 workouts at the CrossFit Games, six of them have running in them. Right. If there's 14, there's seven of them. And that's the way it's always been. And sure enough, they, I think there was actually a slight bias to running that year. I think we had 13 events and seven of them were running based or some type of running element. So 
I sat there and thought to myself, yeah, you're right. Like if I can go well against Pat on a daily basis and I know that he's a consistent athlete, always placing second or third, there's no reason why I can't be in top five. And then sure enough, best year ever. And I hadn't really started training until about January of that year, which is unlike I didn't do much of an off season, just kind of decided in January that I'd have a crack. So what was the holy shit moment? We, we often talk about like the defining moments where you've got three options, right? You can either retreat, you could do nothing, or you decide to, in your words, full send it and just like make the decision to turn this into a defining moment. Yeah, there, there's actually multiple, but one that kind of stands out is actually at the 2019 CrossFit Games. It was the final day. I was actually sitting in fifth place and a workout popped up and we'd been training this modality of workouts so much. It just popped up and I was like, oh, this is this is a gift. It's just fallen into your... Yeah, really? this, is a, this is a gift. And I'd never won a CrossFit Games workout ever. I'd got second in one workout, but I'd never won a workout ever. And I was sitting in the best spot I've ever sat in. I was in a good position. And this workout popped up. It was 30-20-10, calories on the assault bike and toes through rings. Calories on the assault bike for 30-20-10 is in my wheelhouse when I'm trained for it. And toes through rings is in my wheelhouse any, any day of the week, even untrained. So I thought I'm going head to head with the likes of BKG, Noah Olsen, Matt Fraser, a couple of other boys. And I thought, I think I could win this first workout. Mm. And it was a back to back. It was a part A, part B. That was the first one. The second one was a 30, 20, 10 overhead squats, burpees, mm. which was not in my wheelhouse. And she said to me, she calls me because I had a an aide next to me, but Michelle, my coach was up in the stand. She calls me and said, Hey, so I just saw the workout are you ready to full send? Oh. And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, just go for the win in workout one. And she goes, I don't care if you come last in part B, come last. She goes, but you can win workout one. And I was like, get out. I was like, all right, done. So I chucked some music on and I was just like, and I don't listen to music at all. I put some music on. I sat there and I'm fired up and it was just like ripping, ended up winning that workout and it was rad. And that was like, I was like, I'm going to full send here. I don't care what happens. If I, if I go, the difference between any other year and that year is that I rolled the dice in every event. And I just thought I'm not holding back because I was so reserved in fearing a failure or fearing a mistake in front of the whole CrossFit world through 16, 17 and 18 that I didn't want to fuck up. And then as soon as 2019 rolled around. I thought, well, you know what? I've done shit in my own opinion for the last three years. If I do shit again, who cares? I've like got nothing to prove. I'm going to roll the dice on every event. Wherever there's a risk to be taken, I'm going to risk it to have a good event win. And leading into event five, I was sitting in first place. Fuck. So, and that's all. I just risked it. But that's it. I want to dig in on that. Two more questions on that. Firstly, when you were full sending it through that workout, were you thinking about those afternoons at the running track with your dad? Yeah. Yeah. And like not giving up? Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about there was one workout that I vividly still feel deep in my soul from that training camp. It was 90 second max effort assault bike, 60 second max effort assault bike, 30 second max effort assault bike with that a three minute rest disgusting. between each one. And it was like, if you were not going at your absolute capacity from the get go, <laughs> it was like the 400 meters back when I was nine years old. Yeah. It was the same thing from the start. The aim was to deplete all your energy in the first 10 seconds of that effort and then hold on Really? For dear life until the end. I was like, if I can get through that, I can get through 30, 20, 10. And that's all I was thinking. It's like, I have the a capability to back it up and back it up and back it up. So it's almost that muscle memory, but also that sort of mental imprint that you had of those two moments. 100%. You've like, I've, I've been here. I've felt this and I've seen this. Yeah. It gave me flashbacks to running flashbacks. the last 50 meters of the 400 when I was in like- When you were 11. 1999. Right. It, was. it was the same feeling. It was like legs are burning, lungs are pumping. And in my mind, I was like, I've got this. 
Yeah. So that kid from the running track mm. in Adelaide, that moment mm. propelled you to become the fifth yeah, man on the planet. I think it had a lot to do with it. Yeah. You probably don't think about him so often, but a lot of the, the growth moments between, you know, probably two years old and 12 years old actually shape the way that you view the world and the way that you view experiences. And you just don't realize it until you're 30, you know? So the second thing you said, I want to touch on that, right, was you let go. Mm. And that was your secret to winning. 100%. Do you think that is an unconventional mindset state for people? Like, do you see that? Because we talk about business, right? Like, I see a lot of that in business, like the people that we deal with. It's this fear of fucking up Mm. that actually holds them back. And they're the ones that are in the way. Absolutely. So, so that's what I picked up when you said that was like, you just decided to fucking not care about the fuck up. Yeah. And I think I've taken an element of that and tried to say, well, if that works there, then where else can it work? And it works in all these other types of places. And look, there has been some times since then that I've rolled the dice and it's blown back in my face pretty hard. Oh. So I can tell you one instance, there was a workout and it was in 2021. I was trying to qualify for the CrossFit games again, two years later. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to have a crack this year, see how we go. I'm not so fast whether I qualify or not, but I'm just going to go in and have a crack. I ended up getting to the second workout of the Nationals and there was a workout. It was 21 ring muscle-ups. I think it was 15 overhead squats, something like that. And I had never done 21 ring muscle-ups in a row in my life, but I knew... <laughs> and that's actually not a bad number for most of the boys. I knew all the boys are going unbroken and ring muscle ups are not my jam. But I wanted to prove that they were in my wheelhouse. I wanted to prove. And I was like, Got it. I'm going to send this workout and I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to have a crack at this. And I've done pretty well in the first workout. The second workout rolls in and I hit 20 ring muscle ups. And I was like, I got this, baby. Let's freaking go. Went for my 21st, failed it. Didn't get over the top of the ring. Just like my whole body went into spasm, couldn't get over the top. And then oh. I sat there staring at the rings for 20 seconds until. I could get my last ring muscle up whilst all the other boys are finishing their snatches. Got to my first snatch, 60 kilos. It was a lightweight. Missed the first snatch, just buckled under it. Just my whole body went into just breakdown. And when you're saying buckled, was this, do you think what happened to you in that moment, it was a mental thing or a physical thing? I think it was a little bit of both. I tried to clear my head and I go through just a couple of really quick breath things when things don't go my way, a couple of deep breaths and that centers me. And I had taken my upper body to its limit and then trying to get your muscles to activate when they're so full of lactate, it just it doesn't work. You had to place top three in Australia. That year I came fourth. Again? The podium. The podium thing. thing. I came fourth and I came almost dead last in that second workout. So all I had to do was mosey about through that workout at 70% and I would have gone to the games again. So that was a roll of the dice that I thought to myself prior 2019, I would have rolled the dice. I'm going to roll the dice here. And if I didn't roll the dice, I would have gone to the games. But in saying that, you don't know the ripple effect or the butterfly effect that happens after that. But that's why. Like without going into that too much, do you regret it? Do I regret full sending? You know what? I don't regret it because these days I've learned to understand that anything that does seem negative at the time has always come back in a positive way later down the track. You just cannot see it then and there. And that's purely just from experience. Awesome. Love that. I would love to go a bit more into your mindset because it's, I I could talk about this 
for hours. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> almost, almost, I'm getting too settled in this at the moment. But yeah. one thing I really love unpacking mindset and also the, your approaches to training, your sport, but this is also going to relate really well to your businesses too. What kind of approach do you have to training? And is there any kind of inner monologues that you tell yourself when you're going through these tough sessions, any quotes, anything like that? Because I think this is going to transfer directly to your current entrepreneurial journey too. But is there anything you tell yourself daily during these tough workouts? Yeah, look, I think everybody has the opportunity and this is something that I've learned to understand is that I will take 10% less fitness, 10% less strength, 10% less physical ability for 20% more happiness. If I walk into a competition and I'm stoked, got a smile on my face, I'm around a good crew, I've got great people there, they fire me up, I'm there slinging it knowing that they're on the sidelines cheering, like getting giddy about what's going down on the floor, I'll work harder knowing that that's what's happening. And so if I'm in a good mindset and I've got a smile on my face before I walk onto the competition floor, give me 10% less physical ability and give me more happiness and I guarantee I would beat the more physically adapted James than the physically adapted James who's unhappy and who's buckled and who's not having a good time. Put me in the happy mindset and I'll crush it. The other thing is you've always got the opportunity, no matter whether you're on the competition floor or in business, to wake up every day and choose your own attitude. Just on that too, I think I saw in a post you did recently, so you were speaking about being happy and then being much more relaxed and even saying 10% less strength, but I'm pretty sure you actually hit some PBs recently. Yeah. And this is training less, by the way, and this yeah. is... Do you want to just unpack that a little bit? Yeah, for us? absolutely. So since 2021, when I didn't qualify, I just decided to myself, you know what? I've got so many other things in my life that fire me up. I love to meet people. I love business. I love to travel. And those things I've neglected so much over the last 10 years. Why don't I just start doing some other things? And obviously training is a big part of my life. I'll do it every day, regardless whether it's strength training or running or whatever it may be, whatever kind of feels good. If it's a surf, it's a surf. But in the last six months or last 12 months, I've followed no particular structured progressive overload program. I've just rocked up to the local CrossFit gym and done the 530 class. During this time, I've been the happiest I've ever been. I'm in a good space. I've got great friends. I've got a good network. I'm doing things that fire me up. I'm jumping out of bed at 20 past four in the morning just to get after my business. And I'm super happy with what I'm doing because I know that it's not only going to afford me time in the future where I can do more of the things that I love doing, but whilst I'm doing this thing, this vector to get there, I'm actually loving doing this too. Right. And so when I walk into the gym, it's taken me back to 2011 when I first started at the CrossFit gym where I would walk in, I'd look at the board, see who the leaders are and try and beat their score. That was what I used to do at the midday class. This has taken me back there. I don't own the gym. I don't have to worry about the paint. I don't worry. I have to worry about the floor being clean. I don't have to worry about the programming. I don't have to worry about, you know, things not in sitting in the right spot. So now I'm walking back in as a member and I'm walking in carefree. I'm walking in happy. And in this time I've hit all time records in terms of back squat, in terms of push press, in terms of deadlift, all in the last six months. And I followed no particular program for two years. Why? Like, what do you think that is? I just put it down to being in a good mind frame. But is that what they talk about with that flow state? Yeah, I just feel... You just... Yeah. I just feel like I'm better recovered because I'm not flogging myself. Peak games training for only sustained for two months of the year is roughly six hours a day these days. I'm doing less than that in a week now. I do five hours of training a week on average. I'll do four CrossFit sessions a week and I'll run once a week for about an hour. And that's basically it. So I'm doing a lot less training, so I'm bouncing back better, but I'm also filling my time with things that make me feel fulfilled. I have purpose outside of being an elite athlete, and that gives wow, me, that, that fires me up. I can share the journey of being an entrepreneur in business with a lot more people than I could share being an elite athlete. So every time I bring it up, people are like, tell me more, tell me more, mm. tell me more. I'm doing this with my business. Like, you tell me more. And so you're getting like this snowball happening, and I'm just you're just waking up constantly fired up. 
Love that. So we've talked about who the hell is James Newbury. Mm. We've gone through the origin story. We went straight back to your dad and yourself at the running track. We've talked about you not being as happy as you wanted to be with how you placed in the in the games. And then you had that fucking holy shit moment and then you sent it mm. and got number fifth. Talk to us about routines, any high performance habits that you really kind of like are your non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. So when people say, hey, what are you doing? What competition are you getting ready for these days? And I'll say, okay, look, priorities lay within fiber is my number one. That's my business that takes up most of my time. I have priorities, but then I also have foundations. Foundations sit above priorities and those foundational things allow me to do my priorities really well. Those foundational points are sleep, that's not a negotiable. Sometimes, sometimes you may get stuck in a situation where you're stuck on a plane or yeah. you have to do a particular thing, but you'll try and make it up wherever you can. But most of the time, 95% of the time, sleep is a non-negotiable. So sleep is a factor. It's a, it's a foundational piece that makes me do everything better really? and makes me a better human. Yeah. So sleep, nutrition, I don't falter much on nutrition at all. I eat pretty much clean all year round and that's just the way I like to be and that just makes me feel better so sleep nutrition hydration I always make sure I'm topping up on water that's something that's going to keep my body functioning well and the fourth thing is social networking so social relationships making sure I'm hanging around good people if I'm hanging around people that bring me down that don't fire me up that treat me like shit that don't make me feel good what the fuck am I doing those foundational pieces those four things they keep my priorities in check and they keep me performing at a high level. So if you want to be a high performer in anything and you're not getting enough sleep, you're only working suboptimal. The thing is with nutrition, it needs to be on point. You got to treat yourself good. You need to train. You need to do these things. You got to be in that space on a constant basis and that fires you up to do really well. And then the social aspect of it, I like to try and integrate my training regime. So keeping myself fit and healthy, which makes me feel great into my social networking as well. And if you've got great social circles and you've got a great network of people then after that the priority number one after that's all done and dusted and i've sorted that stuff out then business let's freaking go fiber let's go la boys let's go ebooks whatever it may be let's freaking go and then you can do them all so much better i've tested this so many times i'll skip a training session to get after work as a first point of call and i get to the end of my day is like how well did the day go did you have a win yeah i probably won the day but not to the degree that i won it yesterday what was different i trained first well now i know the recipe for me to have a great day Let's do that. And if you chose anything else, wh why? What's that end of day review? So the end of day review is just looking at the day. It's like, did I win the day? And I actually learned this from Shane or Tia's husband and coach. And I was going to talk about Shane as well in terms of someone who's had an impact on how I navigate sport in particular. At the end of every day in 2018, I was living in Gladstone with them just to get fired back up to get back into training. We get to the end of the day, it's like, did we win the day? What does that look like? And we'll like, Tia and I would look at each other and go through the session in our, in our brain. It's like, yeah, I did pretty well at that. Yeah, I did pretty well at that. We got all of our work done. We got A through H finished in terms of our training schedule. We ate good food. We laughed a lot during training. Uh, we had a good time. And then it's like, yeah, we freaking won the day. Of course, that's it. And that was our priority. So I love laughed a lot during training. <laughs> love that. But so that was 2018 and you still do it today. Yeah. With your own business. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And you can get to the end of the day and it's like, okay, did I procrastinate too much or did I falter here? Did, you know, and, and when I say pro procrastinate, it's like mindlessly doing things that don't serve you. So, you know, for me, I had to decide at a particular point, I'm a coffee fiend. And for a lot of people out there are also coffee fiends that are especially in business. Amen. And yeah. So <laughs> I had to get to the point where I was shotting way too many coffees in a day to right. do every task. It was, How many is too many? I was doing five doubles a day. Ooh. Mm. 
Yeah. And I had to get to the point where I had to have a, a sit down with my naturopath, Shannon, who helps me a lot with my um, supplement business. And I said, mate, we don't want to talk about supplements today. I want to talk about me and my coffee addiction and the way that I feel during the day. And he said, tell me how you're feeling. And so we went through a bit of a symptom picture and he goes, how many shots of coffee are you having a day? And I said, I'm actually embarrassed to tell you. <laughs> and he goes, mate, you're an athlete, make a decision. I was like, you're right. And this was the same thing. You're, you're right. Make a decision done on the spot. And it was the one coffee you have in the morning. That is your only one that you can have. Treat it like a ritual. It's a ceremony. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Move on. And the rest of the day, drink tea. And I was like, okay, right. cool. So I've been doing that. That was actually, that was the start of May and I've gone one coffee a day since then. And I feel a million times better, right. a million times better, like in like worlds apart. But in saying that it was just deciding every time that I would want to go and get that second coffee, does this serve me? And it doesn't, mm. it didn't at all. And I had to say no, because every time I ever did it, made me feel like shit later. It made me feel anxious sitting in the car, driving down the highway on the M1, thinking, um, why is my chest all tight? Why am I jittery? Why do I feel this way? Why can't, why can't I just concentrate here? And why am I getting so snappy when I get an email with something that goes wrong or something that I need to now fix? It's just like, I should be able to handle an issue that is just a thing. It's not a, a bad thing. It's just, how, why don't I handle this well? Maybe there's something that's impacting it. It was too many coffees, so. One thing I've noticed in what James is talking about, and I'm trying to like unpack what you're saying as like an ultra high performer versus, you know, what I think people can kind of get from this is how deliberate you are being with making these decisions, right? Versus you see, and even for myself, like it's kind of just a mindless thing you reach for because it's like, no one's going to know. No one's going to know if I have this. No one's going to know, right? But you stop yourself. You say, hang on, is this serving me? Make a decision. And it's that you insert yourself in that moment and you go back to the identity of that high performer. Yeah. And it's almost like when I was doing it and before I had to sit down with Shannon and I knew that I should cut back on how many copies I was having. I was just like, oh, every time I did, I was like, oh, you just let yourself down. You slipped, you, no. you slipped. And then when, when Shannon said, mate, make a decision, you don't need to have that many. Have a peppermint tea instead. Have a chamomile tea instead. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So from then on, I just was like, okay, done. And then every time I do anything that I feel like is on the edge of not serving me, I say, sit down, take yourself away from the situation. Is this going to serve me? Is this going to make me feel better? Is this pushing myself towards the goals that I want to attain? And if it's not, don't do it. Done. Wow. I'm going to think about that mm. at mm. buffet dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Let's freaking go. <laughs> I'll stop at the fifth plate. Now, listen, um, <laughs> mm. unfiltered. Give us something you've never told anyone before, a raw, unfiltered story that really sums you up that you might not have told anyone before. A really unfiltered story that sums me up. Well, I'm a bit of a softie when it comes to animals. I can think of one thing. Oh, I may have told this to one person, I reckon. Oh, I was actually driving one night and this is just a story that's just come to my head straight away because <laughs> I don't have many things that I haven't told people. I'm a bit of an open book. I was driving one night really early in the morning. I was driving from Adelaide to Sydney to run a, a clinic. I ran over a rabbit had a bit of a cry to myself in the car about it. Oh. And I just sat there, just <laughs> tears coming down my face for about 15 minutes. And I was, I felt so terrible about it because I'm pretty passionate about being plant-based and trying to cause as little harm as possible in day-to-day -day life. And you just do the best you can. And yeah, I don't think I, I, I think I've told one person about that story, but I feel like a bit of a softie at, at, 
at that particular time, I was like, shit, I'm crying. I'm crying about, you know, and I, I kind of feel like every sentient being uh, has feelings. They can mm. feel pain. They can suffer. They feel emotions. They feel love. They feel joy. They feel connection. And it was actually running across the road with a friend oh. and I got one of them. And so I was sitting there thinking, oh, I've just ruined Oh. this day for this other rabbit. And yeah, that's that's a little bit of me just completely unfiltered. Were you plant-based before? When was this? Uh, this was this was 12 months ago. So, Oh, but you were, you were already plant-based? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So since 2019, I've been plant-based. Yeah. Mate, I'm here for the softies as well. I'm a bloody softie as well, mate. I'm a bloody softie as well, especially now I've got three daughters. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like if I if I end up having kids, what it's yeah, going to yeah. be like. I'll go even softer. <laughs> talk, to, talk to me about the switch to plant-based. Yeah. And, and you know, for people out there that are thinking, fuck, but, if I, uh, you know, can you still be a high performer and not eat meat? Yeah, look, it's – and this is – I'm not outspoken about this at all. I like to make my actions as what people see. Lighthouse, not tugboat. Yeah, I don't want to sit there and just drill it through piece to camera talking about how good plant-based is. I'm not going to sit there and just shove it down everybody's throat and say, this is the way you have to be. I would rather just go out, do my thing, show people that you can still be strong, you can still be fit, you can still be healthy, you can still wake up feeling energized and ready to go on a plant-based diet. And that is simply it. When I transitioned to being plant-based, the biggest question I got is, where do you get your protein from? You get all the amino acids in every plant and just in differing ratios to that of meat-based products. That's a good segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to talk more about your businesses. So sure. you've always been a high performer. You've actually had a lot of businesses. You've run your own gym in Adelaide. You've gone from that to now founding Fiber. I'll touch on that in a second as well. You've also got La Boys. Mm. Did you always know you want to be a business owner firstly? And do you feel that like your attitude towards your performance as an athlete has helped you down that path? Yeah, 100%. I've always wanted to work for myself. Anytime that I got into a job where I was working for somebody else, it never sat right with me. I always felt like I wanted to create my own thing to generate my own income because I knew how much more profitable it was going to be for myself and more fulfilling for myself to work on things for myself and for my friends and family. So even from work when I was a teenager, I was starting businesses even at 16 years old. They're, they're not the most ideal. So I'll just unfiltered. I was making fake IDs as a kid, as a 16 year old. <laughs> first business. That was my first. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. So unfiltered when you were going to get him. Yeah. Fittest dude on the planet was making fake IDs at 16. Yeah. Love so that. I, I like. Uh, so I'll actually, I'll talk very briefly on it and I'm not condoning this type of behavior nah, to anyone that's listening, yeah, but I thought to myself, I want to train every night. Like I'm going to football training. I'm either training, I'm training first thing in the morning before school. I'm training every night after school. I need to be able to earn an income because I also want nice things. Yeah. And I also want to be able to go and do things when I want to do them and money help with that. So I started making fake IDs. And I was making good money doing it. It was great. And I had a good network. And so I started learning about, you know, like I could sit there and I could do those things for 60 minutes and earn a month worth of yeah, working at Hungry Jack's. Or, and I, I thought to myself, at the time I was immature and I made that decision and I did it and I ended up selling that business. But You sold it? I sold it, yeah. I sold it. So right before I turned 18, I sold it to another person, which is also not a great thing to do. But I knew that the consequences after turning 18 were much worse for myself. So I didn't want to go down that path. So I made a, a conscious decision to- Another decision that he's made? Yeah, to, to not Very do that anymore. And yeah, ended up wrapping it all up and selling it to somebody else. But in saying that, that gave me a bit of an idea on, okay, I have to work for myself. And obviously now I don't do anything like that. But- it taught me a lot and since then I have started multiple businesses above board that have given me a lot of life lessons. Like they've taught me that I wanted to always be 
an entrepreneur and I wanted to work for myself. And I probably took this from an athletic perspective that the effort that I put in, I got back tenfold. Like mm. the feelings that I got from putting in the training, I got the gold medal and the silver medal and I got picked in the teams and I got all these things. So if I could do that with something else like business, I could, I could structure my time that I could, if I wanted to work a 16 hour working day, to just maximize as much as I could. And, you know, and you get to the point where you hit decision fatigue and you have to wrap it up. And That's since right. then I've matured a bit to understand where yeah. the line is drawn. Yeah. But I've always wanted to work for myself and, and knowing that my effort was going to reflect my income. Mm. Yes, that was always the case. Let's talk about your current projects. Yep. What are you working on right now that's really exciting you? Yeah, I absolutely am frothing fiber. This business will be 12 months old next month on the 16th of October. It's been something that I thought about since about 19 years old that I wanted to own my own supplement brand. I was getting into personal training. I was obviously loving my own training. And I was like, oh, there's all these brands out there doing, you know, WPIs and doing pre-workouts and doing BCAAs and aminos and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, that's a cool business. I like this space. I like selling. I was a people person. I love to get to know people. I like creating relationships. I could do that. 10 years down the track, 12 years down the track, I'm kind of tapering off what I wanted to do in terms of sport. I didn't want to compete at the CrossFit Games anymore whilst I still wanted to compete in other things. I thought supplements, I'm plant-based. I get asked a lot. Like a common question yeah. through my Instagram was, where do you get your protein from? It's like, yeah. I could create a plant-based protein that's better than anything on the market and I can tell everyone about it. Wow. And that was how it started. And so if I could create something that was unique, something that was beneficial. And I also saw so much shit that was on the market, things that don't need to be there. And I was always a big believer in longevity all through my whole CrossFit career. I never wanted to sacrifice my long-term health of my brain, my joints, my body, my cells for a gold medal to not be able to surf when I'm 70 years old. So Love for that. me, I would, if someone told me to compete at the CrossFit Games, the sacrifice was I was going to live 10% of a shorter life. I'd say, okay, yeah, stuff the CrossFit Games. I'll go off to do something else. Because you've got a bigger purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I want to I be healthy, happy, share the time and get as much experience on the planet as much as I can and bank those memories. So I wanted to create something that also went to market that wasn't filled with shit. I wanted something that was pure, something that was natural, something that was going to be life-giving long-term rather than acutely pepping the step, but detrimental long-term to everybody's health. Mm. So that started off with a plant protein. Then we've moved into a couple of other things and these formulations fire me up so much. Then naturopathic derived there we've got one it's a bit funky it's like a greens powder but it's called super browns but it's like a, an, a whole body elixir we also have a non-stim pre-workout because i looked at the pre-workout space saw the stuff that was getting put out there and i thought for all of the teenagers that are getting hooked on these pre-workouts at such a young age they're on these for 10 years and they're having them every day not just to go and train but to go out and party and to go right. to their job and to go to school and to get ready for the next exam they're downing pre-workout after pre-workout by the end of the day these people are 18 years old and putting 900 milligrams of caffeine down their neck and i think this is not good for anyone and not only the caffeine side of things but also the other ingredients that are in there you've got products on the market that are shining inside the water. And it's like, nah, surely that glittery stuff surely can't be not, good Not good for your body. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to educate people on like the supplements are the 2% of what's going to make you feel good. Mm. Everything else comes from how good's your sleep, how good's your friendship circle, the, yeah. the foundations and the supplements are the icing on the cake. They fill the cracks in an already good lifestyle and diet. And I wanted to create things. If you're filling the cracks, they need to be solid. And if you're filling them with shit, 
it's going to be shit. That every, everything else is going to falter. But if you're putting stuff in that is going to be energy giving to every cell, the gut microbiome, the, the heart, the lungs, the blood, long term, these are herbal extracts. These are tonic. These are TCM, like traditional Chinese medicine, tonic herbal, herbal formulas. So I wanted to really just express those in the best light possible and show people that these were things that are going to be better for you long term, but also back it up with the education that comes with it because a lot of things look flashy mm. on the market. And if they don't have any education backing them up, it's just people that see a cool looking package that'll buy it. And I wanted to have more substance than that. And that was educating people. Got it. So you mentioned earlier about rolling the dice in workouts and, and really, you know, taking risks with these types of things. Now I'm quite familiar with the supplement industry. There's a lot of rolling the dice. You have to put large amounts of money into buying stock. You need to ship things. You need to establish yourself in other countries with what you're doing now. Has there been a couple of moments that you've rolled the dice in your current business that have maybe scared you? And what were you thinking in these moments? <sighs> yes. It's been only 12 months, but yes, I pretty much rolled the dice on a weekly basis with something. <laughs> and, That's and, business, eh? Yeah. And I just... Mm, sit there fingers crossed and hope for the best and i will also when after i finish crossing my fingers and hoping for the best i'll go and then force myself to make sure that that roll of the dice is executed to the best possible mm. best possible way there's no point if you've got the opportunity to make sure that the roll of the dice has a better outcome if you can edge it closer to the better outcome you should. For instance, let's talk about expansion. Like if you want to expand your business overseas and it's going to cost you a thousand dollar return trip to make sure that the product is welcomed to that space better just by taking a trip to shake a hand with someone who's maybe being a distributor or something like that. Take the flight, shake yeah. a hand, make a friend because until you're a friend of that person and until you've met face to face, they've seen your face, they've seen your smile, they know that you're a good person. You're just potentially another bother through an email that no one knows about. You'll always get a much better response if you meet that person face to face or jump on a phone call and have a real human interaction with them rather than, hey, Joe, I'd love for you to distribute my product in your country. This sounds great. Let's make it work. But when they know who you are, what you're about, the substance, your purpose, your essence, they'll go above and beyond for I love you. That. You know what I mean? That's what we preach to our studios in terms of sales as well. Like so many of them rely on automations and they wonder why they're not getting enough sales. And we said, pick up the damn phone and ring someone. Like it's it's like a connect with them. Connect. It's old school, but the humanizing the experience of, you know, an onboarding process. I feel like, so when I go out, it's almost like onboarding in a gym, mm. um, which I've experienced in. But every time I talk about my product to a potential customer that comes up to the booth at a stand that I'll pop up, I'm onboarding them into the fiber tribe. Every time, oh. every time they walk up, I want them to understand what we're about. I want them to understand that what these are, this is not the magic pill to, to fix all your problems. These are the icing on the cake. These are the insurance policy, but here's why we do it. And here's why I think it'll benefit you. Great. So this podcast, you know, we do this for the gym owners out there as well, right? And other business owners as well. What do you want our gym owners to know about Fiber? Well, for a gym owner, and I've been there before, I've owned a gym for 10 years. I actually own two gyms. And sometimes... I think for a lot of gyms, you know, handling the programming, handling the, the cleaning, you're a jack of all trades. For a gym that wants to take something on, you want it to be really easy. You want it to help generate some revenue for the gym to make things easier, to help pay bills and all the above. Fiber, we set up an affiliate program just recently. We have an affiliate portal where any gym that would like to stock some stuff in their gym can easily just jump online. There's no minimums. You can grab one product if you want put it in the gym. And if the members like it, I'll even, you know, I'll take them through how to navigate talking about the products, but Excellent. anyone can have it in their gym as a bit of an added bonus to their members. And I'll even come and stop in and, and run a class, run a taste testing for them too. Love that. Yeah. Love that. So Geronimo exclusive, 
Mr. Newbury fake ID himself. <laughs> Jimmy Newbury. Jimmy Newbury. <laughs> oh, mate. We'll, um, drop my name now. is Mark. Where, where can our – my name's Mark. Where can our gym owners find that? So if they just go to my Instagram, James Newbury, or they go to the Instagram Fiber Performance, yeah. they can go in there. Or they just go to the website and yeah. all the way down the bottom, it just says apply for wholesale. Yeah, And perfect. then I'll hit them up and I'll send them all the details. All right. We'll, we'll chuck it in our show notes as well. James, this has been awesome. I've got two more questions, yeah. right? And, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So – a big thing that we talk about and a big thing that we I talk about in life and I don't know if you heard my story last night, but, you know, it's about legacy. Like, what are we leaving behind? I reckon from what you've said, you've probably been thinking about this and you've been intentional about this. question I want to ask you is, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Yeah, I, I have thought about this before and I would be stoked if, you know, if people were, whoever stands up there and whoever has a chat about me just were to say that I was just a good bloke. I just would like to just be known as a good guy who never wanted to skirt the lines, who never wanted to, you know, take advantage of any situation. I wanted to be known as someone who was kind, empathetic, was all about, you know, having a good time, having a good experience on this planet and understanding that sharing good experience with people is, uh, it's much more than just earning a bunch of money. I would prefer to have experience rather than, you know, a shit ton of cash. And all the things that I'm doing these days are just to emphasize the fact that I just want good experience and I want to share that with other people. I would rather always share an experience with friends and family than do it solo. So I think if someone just said, you're just the kindest bloke that they've ever met, that I'd be stoked with that. I always wanted to be known as, you know, just being a, a happy, genuine, kind and honest person. That's it. Awesome, dude. Last question before we wrap this up. This is a good one, I can tell. Yeah. What's one question you wish I'd asked you? And how would you have answered it? One question that I wish you'd asked me is, oh, that's a, that's a tough one. You've asked me so many good ones. I'd have to say, oh, I wish... <laughs> I wish you'd asked me how much I made off fake IDs. <laughs> <laughs> and how would you have answered it? Uh, it was encroaching six figures. <laughs> really? What a fuck. He's good at everything, isn't he? Eh? He's good at everything. All right, team. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, massive thank you to James Newbury for being... Of all the things we've mentioned, his accolades, he, he, mate, you are a genuine nice bloke. You are the kind soul that you said that you wanted to sort of be. Now we've all sort of heard how he does it and the secrets behind the high performance. We're going to have some stuff in our show notes. Once more, where can our listeners find you? They can find me, just my name, James Newbury on Instagram, and um, everything is linked out of there. Yeah. Until next time, team. James, keep kicking ass, dude. Well, we will follow you along the journey. We're part of your fam as well, and we, I will be part of the Fiber Tribe. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, boys. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If something resonated with you, then do one of two things. Either leave a review or send this episode to a mate who's in the industry who might need to hear this. But if you want more right now because your head might be spinning and you're like, all right, those, that, what the hell do I do right now? Then in the show notes, you'll find a link to where you can book in for a free 15-minute checkup on your studio where we get to have a look at how you're going right now and where some of the kind of quick win opportunities are to get you moving faster. I can't wait to be back in your ears next week. And if you're listening to this right now, I want you to know that I love you, I appreciate you, I'm grateful for you, and I'm in your corner. You are on the right track, and I believe in you. So keep going, and I'll see you next week.